We're back. We're back again. Football's back. Episode 62 of the We Know Ball podcast. My name is Ryan. Welcome in one and all for our first official episode with a full slate of football. And by full slate, I mean all college, all NFL, all the time. And we still have one game to go technically in this week of football because today is monday it is september 11th 2023 buffalo bills are taking on the new york jets tonight and that's in about two hours from the current moment that we are recording so unless anything incredibly drastic or dramatic happens in that game uh, for the most part the sentiments that i will be sharing and the takes that i will be dropping today will will be accurate especially with college football, right? There's no college football left. Now, yeah, the NFL landscape could drastically shift with something like an injury or something terrible to happen. Let's go ahead and knock on wood right now and hope that that doesn't happen. Before we get into the sports as well, today is September 11th. Uh, Be sure to, if you know anybody that's served in the military, any first responders, anybody in your life, friends, acquaintances, maybe just random people on the street, Uh, Be sure to thank them for what they do uh, because it's days like the 11th of September that uh, remind us all of where we would be without those people. So shout out to the troops, shout out to first responders, and uh, always keep everybody in our thoughts on a day like today. Um, Luckily, with a day like today, as much as it does suck to look at the calendar and just see the date and remember what that's all about there are also some great moments that came out of that afterwards in terms of the sporting world and people coming together and and um <clears throat> celebrating right mike piazza's home run for the mets um president george bush throws out the first pitch in the world series like there was some pretty awesome stuff that brought a lot of people together and and started that healing process and we have sports as an outlet And that's why I'm here. That's why we talk about it. So let's get into a little bit of sports to take our minds off of some of that more, uh, more down in the dumps type stuff, right? We got good sports today. There should definitely be a a really uh, solid, I'm guessing sort of ceremony or honoring of some sorts at the Monday night football game tonight between the bills and the jets in it's at MetLife stadium in New Jersey, but you know, basically New York city right across the street. So Be sure to, uh, I'm sure by the time this is out and recorded and people are listening, that'll have happened. And I'm looking forward to it. Should be, should be uh, good to see. So on the topic of football, I mentioned college football and I talked about how there are no games left in 
the college football schedule for week two of college football. Before we get into the big game, the biggest game of the week, for me, the most disappointing game of the week, we'll go through some of the other scores, some of the other performances um, across the across the realm of college football. There was some pretty bad games. There were some pretty interesting games. Uh, a couple of top 25 teams, you know, uh, struggled. Starting with number 23, Texas A&M taking on Miami in Miami and losing to unranked Miami. Now, Miami's historically is a pretty respectable, solid, good football program. They've had their down years. The point is, it's not like it's some FCS school. Like Miami's a legit D1 program, big time. A&M's 23rd ranked, though. So you got a ranked opponent versus an unranked opponent. So for A&M to lose that game to an unranked opponent, no matter who it may be, it's definitely going to hurt them, drop them out of the top 25. I would imagine, to some degree, Miami and Texas A&M might just swap places. Texas A&M falls out of the top 25. Miami jumps up to 23. So wouldn't surprise me, right? Miami's 2-0. And they looked pretty good. They dominated Texas A&M, 48 to 33. I mean, that's 15 points. But um, offensively, Miami put up seven in the first quarter, 14 in the second, 10 in the third, and 17 in the fourth. So that game was never really that close for A&M. And uh, yeah, interesting to see. Another game that everybody had their eyes on early on on Saturday was number 22, Colorado, playing Nebraska. Okay. We talked about it in the last episode. And the hype was real. The Dion factor is as clear as day. They sell out the Colorado game. They beat the crap out of Nebraska. And I know the Nebraska quarterback, Sims, had some turnover trouble previously. But something about that environment, man, when he went up there, I mean, he literally just couldn't firmly hold on to the football at any point. If he did catch it on the snap, he would throw a horrendous throw. But any other time, if he caught on the snap, he fumbled and exchanged handoff to the running back. Just how many times do you practice that? A billion times, I'll tell you. A billion times. Just doesn't put it into the, the, the gut, you know, the pocket for the running back. Hits him in the arm, fumble. Takes another shotgun snap at one point in the game. Low snap, doesn't pick it up cleanly. Tries to grab it one-handed, doesn't pick it up cleanly. Fumble, recovered by Colorado. Each one of these was recovered by the defense in the case of that game, recovered by Colorado. The thing with Colorado right now that they have going for them that no other school, I think, in the entire country has, probably not even Georgia, probably not even Michigan, definitely not Alabama anymore. Colorado has that extra tier factor where a lot of teams have an identity in ways of, oh, we're going to dominate the line of scrimmage. Oh, uh, like Tennessee last season, we're going to throw the ball all over the yard. You know, their defense isn't going to be good. Like every team's got their identity. Alabama thought their identity this year was going to be the line of scrimmage. Turns out it wasn't. And when you have that identity, you try to live to it. You try to play to that as a team and you don't execute. It's deflating. Colorado's identity is, we have so many more athletes than you do on the field. We have a head coach who's been there and done that in every sense of the word. And 
now we have that intangible sort of intimidating swag factor where even if you're the opponent and you feel like you're a better team against Colorado, you know that at any moment Colorado could strike back with a plethora of weapons on offense and they have athletes on defense. Are they going to play sensational defense and give up 10 points a game? No, they'll give up more. But to see how the Nebraska quarterback who yes, was already struggling coming into the game, but how he just completely folded in half in that game. And it's no disrespect, but that to me more than anything shows the weight of Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes program and the wave of momentum and energy and just pure uncontrolled, just swag, just grit. I mean, these guys, I don't know what they're going to jump up to, but Dion is the real deal. And he's the only coach in college football that could stand in front of his players and tell each and every one of them, whether they're on the team at the moment or he's recruiting them to come to Colorado. He's the only guy that can stand up there and say, I know what it takes to be a superstar. If you heard that from Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Lane Kiffin or Lincoln Riley, there's a little bit of truth to it. There's a little bit of weight. You can understand it. Oh, yeah, they've coached some great players for sure. Deion Sanders has coached some great players, and he himself was one of the best players ever. So if I was a recruit or if I was an opponent on, an, on a team like Nebraska coming in for their first home game, there's just that extra bar- barrier of almost just inevitableness, if that's a word. There's that extra barrier as an opponent against Colorado of like, man, it just feels like no matter what we do against these guys, they're still going to at least be in the game and also be one play away from just blowing us out. And that's what happened with Nebraska. Like they honestly just looked way worse than they actually are because that, that just overwhelming sense of swag and just like, domination is oozing from the Colorado football program. And it starts with Dion and Dion's the man, dude, he's doing a great job so far. And Colorado honestly didn't even play their best game. Like I watched pretty much the whole game. They didn't look amazing. They didn't look as good as they did against TCU. And they still scored 36 points Uh, in Nebraska. Again, they struggled. They had a tough, you know, they're just still kind of going through a transitional phase, Matt rule, you know, whatever. But looking at their schedule, man, going through the rest of the year, I mean, they play Colorado State next week, and then they play Oregon at Oregon. And that's going to be a huge test. After they beat Colorado State, they're going to be 3-0. They'll probably be in the top 20, if I had to guess, or close to it. And... uh Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting to see. It's going to be really interesting to see. Um, They have the update for, oh, as I talk, as I say, Miami and Texas A&M, right? Oh, they're going to switch. The new AP poll rankings come out. Uh, Let me see. AP top 25. What do we got? So. Georgia still one, Michigan still two, Florida State jumped up from four to three, overtaking Alabama. Texas beat Alabama. They're up 
to four spot USC, Ohio State, where, yep, Colorado's 18. So Colorado's 18, and they, uh, yeah, they're gonna be called they're gonna beat Colorado State. If teams in front of them lose, they may jump up even further. But that's gonna be a top 20 matchup in two weeks from now. It's gonna be crazy. It's going to be crazy. It's gonna be a great game to watch. And that's a really that's the true test, I think. That's against a real football team on the road. We'll see how they, they come out ready to go. Uh the rest of the schedule for college football, number 20, Ole Miss took down number 24, Tulane. So it's a top 25 matchup. Tulane. I say Tulane, 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 Tulane. Uh, it was a pretty good game, but uh, ultimately Ole Miss, or uh, excuse me, Tulane did not have their starting quarterback. And um, the green wave, the Tulane green wave, good for them to be in the top 25, but Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss was a better team. I mean, yeah, the, you have a starting quarterback. It, with final score is 37 to 20. Maybe with the starter for Tulane, it's 37-30, you know, but is what it is. The rest of the top 25 teams won. We mentioned Texas A&M losing. Notre Dame looks really good. And Sam Hartman is really good. He's a really good quarterback. Tennessee won. And the rest of the top 25 won. Ohio State has looked eh, okay. Uh, the last game on that, on that college football situation. Okay. So, those of you who do listen to the show, you know I'm an Alabama fan. And I've been a bandwagon Alabama fan since I was in middle or high school. I just always loved the program and the school, right? Every kid, I feel like when you're young, you, like, gravitate towards a school. A lot of people do, I feel like. And uh, I've always been a fan, at least for better part of a decade. And I can definitively tell you that I knew. Let me put it this way. You start with dominating the line of scrimmage, right? Early 2000s, 2010s, Saban and the domination of Alabama really hits its full stride. The early 2010s, Alabama just killed everybody on the line of scrimmage. They were running the ball whenever, wherever they wanted, at will, with monster running backs and, honestly, average quarterbacks. But they didn't need great quarterbacks. They needed just accurate quarterbacks that made good decisions, handed the ball off, and they played excellent defense, and they won nonstop for six, seven, eight, ten years almost. Then as the sport of football starts to transition to spread offense and better athletes on the outside, Alabama also makes that transition. Brings in Jalen Hurts to play quarterback. Jalen Hurts was a bit of a hybrid quarterback where he ran the ball very effectively. He was a pretty solid passer. Had his, his setbacks in college. Of course, everyone knows the story. Tua comes in to replace him. Tua comes in. Excellent, excellent quarterback in college and in both the NFL. Now the new wave of quarterback play and the emphasis of quarterback play is maintaining the Alabama dynasty. Mac Jones comes in, does a good enough job. He's pretty good. He's an NFL caliber quarterback. Have him for a year, another national championship. Then they go to Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner. They go to the national championship. They lose, but they're right at the top. They're relevant. And then last year, Right? 
you go from Jalen Hurts to Tua to Mac Jones to a Heisman Trophy winning Bryce Young, you fall to Georgia in the national championship. And that was the moment that the Alabama dynasty had reached its peak and started coming back down the other side. Because at that moment, everybody realized that Alabama can be beaten with a team that has better athletes. And that was Georgia. Last year, Alabama had a lot of really talented athletes across the field at running back. Will Anderson was one guy, a couple other players on the outsides. And of course, Bryce young. And even with those talented players and arguably the best quarterback in the country, they lose to Tennessee. They lose to LSU. And the hill has been passed and they make their trek back down the other side. And now you find yourself with Jalen Milrow playing quarterback for Alabama. Anybody who's watched even a little bit of Alabama football over the last two years and then saw the difference in quarterback play from Bryce Young to Jalen Milrow, anybody saw this coming from a million miles away. Alabama ranked number three was just because of their name. And I love them. And I was happy they were ranked number three. And they claimed that they were going to be transitioning their style of play and dominating the line of scrimmage. Well, they played Texas. Texas sacked Milrow five times and Alabama did not record one sack. That's not Alabama football. That has never been their MO. It's always been line of scrimmage domination. Package that together with a quarterback who does not have the quarterback sense. It's a massive drop-off from a guy like Bryce Young who stares down receivers, can only really execute timing throws, and they play a Texas team they beat last year by one point with Texas's backup quarterback playing three quarters of that game. So anybody who took Alabama on the spread or picked them to win or thought Texas had no chance doesn't know ball, but we do know ball. And I was not just nervous, but I would have been surprised if Alabama won against Texas. I'll put it that way. Anybody that knows college football and has been watching that program, Alabama has reached its peak and they're coming back down the other side. That doesn't mean they can't slow it down to some degree and, stay relevant once the 12 team playoff comes around because they they certainly will be in the playoff in the conversation for years to come but i think you can definitively say that the alabama football program and the alabama dynasty has reached its peak and they're now coming back down the other side and they came back down gradually last year with a couple losses and still having the number one quarterback in the country and then you drop from bryce young to jalen Milrow. And that climb back down the other side got a whole lot steeper. And as much as they can claim they wanted to do this or they wanted to change their identity and be physical, be big, you got to go out and prove it. And they did not only not prove it, but they got embarrassed. They got dominated by Texas at home. I think this, the, the shared consensus amongst Alabama fans, including myself, was, well, we'd be lying if we said 
we didn't see this loss coming a little bit. Now, maybe they use it as motivation. Maybe Alabama goes out, runs the table, and somehow pulls off a miracle, beats Georgia, you know, and gets into the playoff. But I can tell you confidently that as long as Jalen Milrow is playing quarterback for Alabama, they are a three-loss, maybe a four-loss team looking at the rest of their schedule because they play Tennessee again, they play LSU again, and, you know, they play Auburn. That's always a tough matchup no matter what. I'm just saying, man. Don't be surprised if at the end of the year, somebody besides Jalen Milrow is taking snaps at quarterback. Because it's it's very obvious that, yeah, he's a phenomenal athlete. Yeah, he can run the ball with the best of them. But he's Lamar Jackson at quarterback with half of the passing ability and half of the quarterback sense. And that's not a great combination. Combine that with Alabama's line of scrimmage getting just utterly dominated all night. And that was the most predictable loss I think I could have said in the history of the program, or at least since Saban's been there. And it is sad, you know, but yeah, there's, there's opportunity. It's not like completely over, you know, Alabama has, I guess, a good quarterback recruit coming in next year. Julian saying from, from California, maybe he comes in and he plays great, but when Alabama loses to Georgia in, in the national championship two years ago with Bryce Young, with a phenomenally talented team. And then last year they lose two games with Bryce Young. They're giving up 35, 45 points a game. Top recruits are starting to prioritize other schools, Georgia, Texas, Michigan, Ohio State, Arch Manning turns down the Alabama offer to go to Texas. This slide down the back end of a winning peak has started for a while from Alabama, two years ago till today. And it, it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. Again, 12-team playoff may keep them around and relevant, may save, may save the relevancy of that, that program for years to come. But ultimately, if you don't have a good quarterback, man, like you're just not going to be good. You're just, you're just not going to be very good. I don't know what to tell you. It's just football in 2023. If you don't have a good quarterback, you're not going to be good. That's why I like Michigan, because I, like, I think J.J. McCarthy is very talented. He's a good, true quarterback in the backfield that's why i like florida state jordan travis is a really talented quarterback good game sense executes the tough throws but you look at georgia with carson beck not great you look at ohio state with mccord not great look at alabama with jalen milrow not great and I said it from the beginning, too. I said it before the pod. I said it last week before they played. I thought the winner of the Alabama and Texas game would be a team that ends up in the college playoff. Because if Alabama could beat Texas with a much worse team than Texas had, then they could find a way to win probably the rest of their games on their schedule. Texas was probably the toughest opponent they were going to play all season. 
So if they could have beat them, they probably could have ran the table and found themselves in the playoff. With Texas beating Alabama, now Texas is not going to lose. Who are they going to lose to? Unless they just have a blow-up game or a big injury. Right? Look at Texas's schedule. Go through the rest of the year for Texas. Let's see. They have two more ranked opponents to play for the entirety of the season. They go Wyoming, win. At Baylor, not a good team, win. Kansas, win. Number 19, Oklahoma, who doesn't scare anybody. Houston, BYU, number 15, Kansas State. That might be a tough game, but that's at home. At TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. Texas beating Alabama. Look at the rest of their schedule. There's just not a single reason why the Longhorns shouldn't just cruise into the top four teams in the college football playoff. Not a, it should not even be a second thought. So good for Texas. I mean, it's good. You know, I think having Texas good is good for college football. It is. So that was the college football slate. Uh, like I said, Texas beat Alabama. And then this upcoming week, week three, we like to go over the up. An absolute snooze fest. There's not a single game. There's, I don't think there's a single top 25 matchup at all. If I'm not mistaken, uh, there's not. And every spread I'm seeing is at least two touchdowns and all the top 25 teams in their games this week. We talked about uh, Colorado. They're playing Colorado State, 42 and a half point favorites. Oregon playing Hawaii, 38. Texas against Wyoming, 28 points. Like, I'll just, I'm going to tell you the opponent, the ranked opponent, the ranked uh, team, who their opponent is and what the spread is. 17 Ole Miss, Georgia Tech, 20 points. Michigan, Bowling Green, 40 points. The only tight game is number 11, Tennessee at Florida, unranked Florida. Tennessee's favored by six and a half. So that, that should be theoretically, you know, on paper, the game of the week. Like I said, the rest of them, number 24, UCLA gets North Carolina Central. Doesn't even have a spread. Number 23, Washington State against University of Northern Colorado. Washington, number eight against Michigan State, 16. Ohio State, Western Kentucky, 27 and a half. Iowa, Western Michigan, 28. Duke, Northwestern, 18. University of North Carolina against Michigan, that's a seven and a half point spread, but it's at North Carolina, should get the win. 19, Oklahoma against Tulsa, 28. 16, Oregon State against San Diego State, 24. Georgia is against South Carolina, 28. Notre Dame, Central Michigan, 34. Utah, Weber, Weber, Weber State. I don't know what that is, but Utah is going to be favored. Kansas State against Missouri. At Missouri, that's a five-point spread. Should be interesting. Should be interesting. LSU, Mississippi State, LSU by 10. Penn State, Illinois, Penn State by 14. Florida State, Boston College, Florida State by 26. And even number 10, Alabama, dropped to number 10 against South Florida. Alabama's favored by 32 points. And then, oh, Thursday night, a little action. Miami, number 22, Miami against Bethune Cookman. So Miami should handle business there. And that's the college football go-tos in a nutshell. Moving on, moving on, moving on, moving on. NFL. NFL week one. Wow, what a ride. 
you started off with the Lions beating the Chiefs on Thursday night. Now, everybody knows the Chiefs probably should have won that game to a degree, right, with some major drops. They didn't have Kelsey, but that's the nature of football. You can't just lose a guy and then have more talent at home and be like, oh, we're going to win. You got to make the plays. You got to catch the football. I think the Chiefs will be fine. They'll get Kelsey back. They'll, they'll, they'll still win 12, 13, 14 games. But this Lions team is not one to be to just mess around with. I mean, Jared Goff is, I mean, maybe freak out here. Top, top 10 quarterback in the league. Maybe. Amon Ross St. Brown is looking like a top five wide receiver. That guy's a monster. Two-headed monster in the backfield of David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Really good defensive front. That gave Mahomes a lot of trouble. Lions, 10 wins? Just saying. Keep an eye out. Rest of the slate, there was some, uh, you know, not good teams playing each other. Falcons, Panthers, Falcons won 24 to 10. Um, Titans and Saints, man, what a snooze fest. Saints win 16 to 15 over the Tennessee Titans. Commanders beat the Cardinals 20 to 16. Ravens beat the Texans 25 to 9. Uh, and then the rest of these games are just baffling. Baffling. We'll go through a few of them. First of all, Raiders and Broncos. I was at the game. I went to the game. I live in Denver. Went to the game. Got a ticket. Went. There's some teams in the NFL and some organizations and some players specifically that for one reason or another are just automatically gravitating towards one end of the spectrum of winning or losing in the NFL, the chargers as an organization every year, they're loaded on all parts of the ball. They got stars everywhere. Great quarterback, new stadium, moving cities. And the chargers just lose. They just lose. They don't have a losing record. But they just lose. Any tight game, the Chargers find a way to just not be victorious. And that's not Herbert's fault. That's not maybe any one person's fault. It's just the nature of the Chargers. On the opposite, the, I'll say it like, the, yeah, I know, yeah. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you got a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I don't know if he's just an unbelievable leader. I know he executes at a high level. He's very accurate. He's a great field general. He knows how to run an offense with the best of them. But dude, that guy just wins football games. I don't know what it is. The guy just wins. I mean, the only difference in the Raiders and Broncos in that game was a missed extra point by the Broncos. Otherwise, it would have been a tie game, at least going to overtime. 17 all. Raiders win by one point. They just find a way. Jimmy G just finds a way. And there's got to be some value in that, right? Everyone dogged whoever it was, San Francisco or whoever, 
there was so much hate towards the big contract given out to Jimmy Garoppolo. But I don't think anybody took it in consideration. Like, his numbers, yeah, they're not great. Oh, how can you pay a guy so much? Uh, I'll tell you why. Because the dude just doesn't stop winning. Now, I know he doesn't have, like, a Super Bowl, and he's not this... But, like, the guy, what has he played in, like, three championship games? A Super Bowl? What's his career winning percentage? It's got to be a career, like, 650 or 700. I know he's been in some good teams. It's a good systems. But, like, the Raiders are, are a team that's known to choke. And he comes in and just changes the fortune right away. Now, I know it's game one. It's early in the season. Who knows? The Raiders could fall apart. But, dude, Jimmy Garoppolo, what is the deal with that guy? What, what touch does he have? What, what secret juice does he drink before the game to just win? He just wins every game. He just wins. Has no business winning and just does it anyway. It's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. If I'm a Raiders fan, I am so fired up to have that guy quarterback. I mean, that guy, he is a winner. It's crazy, dude. It is insane. But good for him. Good for the Raiders. Broncos lose, right? 17-16. Broncos, I think they'll be okay. The offense was a little, little conservative for my liking. A lot of just, like, pistol run plays. And Russ was kind of hesitant to, like, pull the trigger on downfield throws. It'll be fine. It is what it is. Uh, Browns and Bengals. The Browns beat the Bengals 24-3. The Buccaneers beat the Vikings 20 to 17. The Eagles beat the Patriots, but only by five points. Jalen Hurts was okay. The Rams go to Seattle and dominate the Seahawks. And the Cowboys obliterated the Giants, obliterated them. Before we get into Cowboys Giants, talk about the rest of those teams. I don't think anybody should be panicking or overreacting to the Seahawks losing or the Bengals getting killed or the Steelers getting destroyed by the 49ers. Week one this year, to me, stood out more than any other week one in, in recent NFL history. And it wasn't even the fact, it's a, it's a descripting part of it. It's, it's a relevant fact that of the 15 games through Sunday, 11 of them, let me say that again since I just stumbled there. Of the 15 games through Sunday, 11 of them went under the point total. So the takeaway, if you're a fan of the team that got beat, badly or got beat and shouldn't have don't panic defenses are always ahead of offenses always in the nfl that being said if you're the seahawks lose that bad to the rams or the Bengals, just like did not look like they were a football team and got dominated by cleveland there's a little bit of concern if that happens again, like next week. And then you're like, okay, what's going on? 
Luckily, they'll have a full week of film. It's our first time playing against another opponent. You know, it's it's just like almost never know in that first week. And that's exactly what happened. So those were some of the games. I mean, Bucks beat the Vikings. Like, it's just weird, you know? Like, Jefferson had nine catches for a buck 50 and just Vikings lose. Like, if you get a receiver who puts up that that number, typically, I mean, you at least scored 20 points. He scored 17. I mean, I don't know. Uh, the other side of it, man, is it like you got a game that I loved. I wanted to talk about Jaguars beat the Colts 31 21. If you are an NFL franchise and you have the opportunity to take a quarterback high because you've been bad, like the Jags did with Trevor Lawrence, anybody in the NFL who's not modeling their projections for the future to let that quarterback have as much success as possible. Take notes from the Jags and what they've done the last couple of years. They draft Trevor Lawrence with the first pick and they were going to be bad and they were bad, but then they bring in an experienced head coach. That's step one. And it's a great move to bring in Doug Peterson. Great move. Great move. Motivated guy knows how to put guys in the right spot. Add some supplementary complimentary pieces around Trevor Lawrence from the throw to in year two. He looks better. They sneak in the playoffs. They get a playoff victory. Stepping stones, stepping stones, stepping stones. Then they trade for Calvin Ridley. Great move. Great move by the Jags. Now Ridley is going to be one of the best guys in the NFL. He's got a great quarterback. He's a great receiver. All of a sudden, Jags go from way under 500 to nine and eight to this year, 11 and six, probably, and just keep building, keep building. But they are doing it the right way. The Jags, man, good for them. The Jags looked stout on, on offense. Their defense was fine, you know. Um, Richardson, you know, he's a rookie quarterback, obviously, making his first start. That part of it is like whatever, you know, I guess. But ultimately, that takeaway for me is one of the bigger ones. And this is the Jags with all the hype look right up to the billing and they're going to be a threat this year. A threat. If you told me four and a half months from now, we'd be in the AFC championship game and it's Bill's Jags would not shock me at all. Jags are nasty. Uh, the last two pieces. So first of all, Packers beat the Bears 38 to 20. And this is takeaway number two for me from the NFL week one. And that is Jordan Love is a good quarterback. He's good, man. He, in fact, I'd go as far to say as, as long as they continue to surround him with the weapons that are necessary and keep that two running back system, fresh guys running the ball for him, protect him. Jordan Love's going to find himself with a NFC North championship this year. And he's legit. There's nothing you can say based on that performance that wasn't Jordan Love not being a really good quarterback. There was the hesitation and Rodgers. It's like, how do you over, you know, that's big feet to big shoes to fill the back him up for a couple of years. And then, 
try to start. Jordan Love slid right in. Guy's good, man. Packers will be fine. Fine. The last takeaway as we wrap up this uh, episode 62. Yeah, 62. The last takeaway for me, man. You know, San Francisco, like they just go into Pittsburgh. They favored by like three points. How? San Francisco, dude, is just a juggernaut. They are a monstrosity to play against. I mean, arguably, they're their three best non-quarterback offensive players. Yeah, McCaffrey had a big day. 22 for a buck 52. That's really good. George Kittle's a great tight end. And we all know how how lethal Debo Samuel can be as, as an offensive weapon. But they're arguably their best guy production-wise on offense was Brandon Ayuk. And then even if they like don't score that many points every week, like they score 20, 25 a game, like they should go undefeated. Their defense is crazy. And yeah, if their defense somehow falters or gives up a couple early touchdowns, they'll be able to just strike back quickly. Brock Purdy is a beautiful distributor of the football. It's the ball to the right guys in the right situations, in the right downs and distances. And early pick to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Overreaction in week one, maybe, but it's got to be the 49ers. I mean, everyone said, man, they're going to be good. Not that good. Whoa. The Steelers are like, oh, everyone's, let's go Steelers. And Steelers are still fine. They're, it's week one. They got a good team. It's like Pickett's, Pickett's throw the ball better. Guys are making plays. Defense is good in, in Pittsburgh. And 49ers beat them 30 to 7. Just dominated them. Just killed them. All sides of the ball, all parts, whole game. Probably an overreaction. Anything can happen. But if you're not chalking up 49ers NFC champion future bet somewhere, at least checking out the odds, that'd be a good futures bet to take if I were if I were anybody that took futures. I'm not a big futures guy, but if somebody gave me a hundred bucks and said you got to put it on one team to get to the Super Bowl. It's going to be San Francisco. That's my pick. These guys are nasty. They're nasty. Heads up. Watch your lips. If you're taking on San Fran at any point this year, watch your lips, dude. Sheesh. That was, I mean, they are just lethal. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's episode 61. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Um, yeah, a lot of unexpected in the world of football this weekend. A lot of sort of expected. Uh, we'll be back next week for another opportunity to talk about football because we love it. We love you guys. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode, 61, 62. I keep saying 61. I don't know why, but it's 62. Episode 62, We Know Ball Podcast. Greatly appreciate you guys tuning in. If you're not following me on social media by now, please be sure to do so. If you made it all the way to the end of this episode, we greatly appreciate you guys tuning in. 
Instagram and TikTok at we know ball sports. One word, we know ball sports. That's the handle. My handle on Twitter is at Ryan knows ball. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcasts, head over to social media, follow us there. We appreciate it as always, guys. Episode 62 in the books. Week one of the NFL in the books. Lots to cover. Tried to get all of it. But ultimately, there's still a long way to go. And maybe we had some overreactions, but that's what we love to do in the world of media, the world of sports media. Guys giving out takes like myself. We just love to just drop overreactions, right? It's hilarious. But I love it. I love talking sports. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I'm going to catch you guys on the next episode. Peace out. Try to make up for it. Fires to the end.